Um, so if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Tony Sorcy. I'm the campus pastor at uh, the Cedar Lake campus. Uh, I want to apologize for last service. Like, I told, they were told me, like, I got to cut my message short. And you guys were, like, waiting. Some of you guys were, like, waiting out there. So I want to say sorry for that. You guys stuck around even though you knew I was going to go long. So, hey, you know what you're in for. That's all I got to say about that. All right. Uh, but uh, good to be here. I haven't been to Crown Point in, in forever. So good to see you guys. Uh, we're on the um, right beginning of a, a three-day weekend. So you guys got Mondays off, right? Um, so uh, excited about that. Uh, we've been in the middle of a little breakaway series on marriage and family. Uh, Steve gave the guys a swift kick to the pants last week. And um, ladies, it's your turn today. All right. We're talking about the role of wives. You ready for this, ladies? What we're going to do is we're going to read three core passages from the scriptures to talk about the role of wives. I got three points and then we can get on to yard work and bratwurst and beanbags and all that kind of stuff. You guys cool with that? All right. We're going to go Genesis 2 first. Follow along as I read. I got the verses up on the side screens for you guys if you don't have a copy of the scriptures. Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, bit of a, kind of a wedding vows here of sorts. This is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands, own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. First Peter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Same idea there, submission, be subject So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external merely the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is, excuse me, very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So a bit like three core texts on the role of wives, considering this idea of wives in their marriages and how they relate to their husbands in their home. Looking at the role of wives this weekend, and we broke it down to three major categories as we look at these scriptures. Now, there's so much to say about wives and their roles and contributions to families and marriages and communities and submission. But I want to focus on three things. Submission, help, and respect. All right, so let's kick it off with the toughest one, ladies. Submission. You guys ready for this? How many ladies, like, this is like your S word, right? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Some of you guys thought, like, man, you saw submission in the title of my sermon. You're like, homeboy walked up on here on eggshells, right? Right? How many of us feel a little tension here on the front end of talking about this idea of submission, a little nervousness, right? I've seen a lot of eyes roll over the years when this subject's been brought up. I've seen a lot of eyes roll. How many of you wise, when you saw that word submission in my title, you were like, yes, thank you, finally, honey, where's the notepad? Oh yeah, I'm the one that brings it and you don't. I have it right in front of me, right? 
Grab the notepad. I'm taking notes. Yes, submission can't wait. This is amazing, right? And I know you guys feel that tension. I think it's safe to say that there's a lot of confusion and even negativity surrounding the issue of biblical submission. The fact that we even cringe when the subject's brought up. Afterwards, I talked to some of the wives and said, hey, did you appreciate that? I go, so like when, like, you know, like we're talking about submission, it's kind of like, eh. they're like, yeah, it's kind of, eh. right? And I know some of you guys are feeling that. We cringe when it's brought up. And, the, and, and, and that alone shows that culturally, this idea of authority and submission is viewed with suspicion it's taboo, it's broadly maligned, and it's biblically misunderstood. Even in communities of Christ followers, right, that accept the, the word of God uh, or the scriptures as the word of God, a lot of confusion there, even, even there in those communities. Like, we don't want to talk about this idea of submission. And what I want to do is I hope to clarify this idea of submission today. It's a big chunk of my message. And what I want to do is I want for all of us, I want to elevate our view of submission today. I want to bring it out from a negative into a positive. I want you, I want to show you that it's deeply rooted in the Lord Jesus. And I want to elevate this idea of submission for all of us. Submission literally means to arrange under, to arrange under. It has an idea of deferring to another. Submission recognizes and accepts a role of following rather than leading. Submission for a wife recognizes that God has placed the mantle of leadership on her husband, right? And that's just how God's designed it. Husbands, lead. You're the head. Just as Christ is the head of the church, so husbands are heads in their home. They're responsible. They're leaders. A wife recognizes that God has placed that mantle of leadership on her husband, and she defers to both her husband and his leadership and to God's design for her role in her marriage to arrange under now, some think this idea of submission for wives is archaic, dated, primitive, and wrong. That it began, that it belonged to an older generation, uh, one where it was a male-dominated culture, where chauvinism existed, and there's no need now for this idea of submission for wives or for women today. Others think that issues of submission and authority really only exist because of the fall. It really only exists because sin has entered into the world, meaning this. In a perfect sinless situation, you wouldn't have any need for any kind of authority or any kind of leadership or any kind of submission at all. We would just all kind of relate to each other, and we would just kind of figure it out along the way. Submission, authority, respect, all these kinds of things are a result of sin in the world. And the problem with that assertion, both that it's a, a cultural thing that's dated and also, too, that submission existed in a time or because it's, it, it, because it's because sins entered the world. The problem with both of those assertions is that authority and submission have existed in God himself as long as God has been God. Authority and submission have existed in God, in the relationships of the Godhead, as long as God has been God. I want to give you guys a brief theology of authority and submission by looking at the Trinity. The Bible is very clear that there's one God. But as the Bible unfolds, we come to find out that there's, there's three persons that exist in this one God. That God is one in essence, yet he's three in persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that when God created the world, he wasn't like the equivalent of a lonely child in the empty field across from his house, kicking up dirt, wanting something to do, right? God existed in eternity as a community. God's a communal being. He's always been in relationships, Self-giving, self-mutual, just deferring adoration and love flow between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this God sets out to do things like create the world. And this God sets out to do things like redeem the world that's hell-bent, of which you and I are a part. 
right? And so we have this idea of the son goes to the cross to die for sinners. Now that's a plan that's existed in eternity past. God came up with that plan. It wasn't his plan B, it was his plan A. When Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't like, oh man, like, what am I going to do now? Um, I know, cross, wrong. It was God's plan A before he set in motion the world, his plan of redemption. Now I want you to imagine, do you think that um, in, in eternity past, at some point in time, that this idea of someone going to the cross brought up and it's like, all right guys, short straws for who goes to the cross, right? Father pulls the longest one, not me. Spirit pulls the medium one, and the son's like, oh, dude. You kidding me, man? Oh, I got to go to the cross? Can we do this again? Best out of three? Best out of five? Do you think it went down like that? No. It didn't go down like that. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Jesus willfully gave up his life. And we see that in eternity past, there exists in God with no sin... God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. This idea of authority and submission. That it was the Father's plan to send the Son to redeem the world, and the Son joyfully and gladly and willingly submitted to the Father's plan and went through and went to the cross, came and lived and died and rose again to rescue you and me. And we see in God, we see this idea of authority and submission. Furthermore, the Spirit right? The father sends the son. He comes willfully, comes joyfully. Was it easy? No. We have much documented on that, the difficulty of the cross. But furthermore, we see the spirit is sent by both the father and the son. If you look at Acts 2, the spirit comes. And what does the spirit do? The spirit regenerates and saves 3,000 people. Who gets the glory? Jesus. Jesus. The spirit comes serving both the father and the son in his part of redemption and drawing men and women to himself to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he's forever cool with playing this behind-the-scenes backdrop role where the Father and the Son get the glory. And the Spirit does all that he does to lift up the Son and to lift up the Father and never wants glory for himself. And the Spirit plays this forever role as helper. Does that sound like a familiar term, ladies? Helper? Yeah. Helper. We need to come to see that submission and authority have existed in God in eternity past. The Son and the Spirit arrange themselves under the Father. That there's mutual deference there, serving there, submission there, and leadership there. And it's perfect. And it's not tainted. And it's beautiful. <clears throat> and for me, this view of submission, of, the, of Jesus, the submission of Jesus, and as we consider the role of wives in marriages, all beautifully comes together for me in 1 Peter 3.1. And you know, because we've gone through this 1 Peter 3, 1, we've had messages on this. Just by way of reminder, before you get to chapter 3, verse 1, which Peter talks about wives, he just describes Jesus in chapter 2, 21 to 25. And he describes Jesus as the suffering servant who, by way of trusting his heavenly father, put in check his words and actions during the injustice of his sufferings. And the passage says this, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We see here Jesus is being submissive to the eternal plan of the Father to go to the cross. And he kept trusting his Father, even in the midst of mass injustice and suffering. He kept trusting his Father to be the just judge in his sufferings as he submitted to God's will to endure the cross. And Peter's very next words... 
after this beautiful description of a submissive, suffering son are found in 1 Peter 3, 1, and they read this. Just after he describes Christ, it says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Just like that, ladies. Like what? Like Jesus. Just like that, ladies. Just like that, wives. Just like that. And what we see in 1 Peter 3, 1 is something that we often overlook is that Peter roots the call of wives to be submissive in their marriages in nothing short of the faith-filled, courageous, fearless, sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. Ladies, if you're here, your role is rooted in Jesus. You still have a lowly view of it? Still have a lowly view of submission? Peter roots the call of wives to be submissive in the submission of Jesus. And in case you still have a low view of submission, let's first say this. If Jesus doesn't submit to the will and the plan of the Father to redeem the world and the leadership of the Father to rescue a runaway planet, there is no cross and there is no forgiveness of sins for anyone. And we are all still in our sins. If the Son's not submissive, you and I are dead in our sins. Without submission, there is no reconciliation for sinners. You and I are without hope if Jesus doesn't walk in submission to another's will and follow the Father's leadership. You still have a low view of submission? The story of the gospel is of a submissive Savior, a Savior who submits to a Father's plan to love us at Calvary. See, if you're here and you view submission with a lowly lens, then you have to view the cross and the son who was nailed upon it with a lowly lens as well. Do you see your dilemma? If you view submission and this idea of submission in marriages with a lowly lens, well, the wives, for their role, that's rooted massively in the work of Jesus. In fact, Peter says, just like that, ladies, that's what it looks like. You have a theological dilemma on your hands if you spurn the idea of submission, but then raise your voice in worship to a submissive Savior who served you in your sin. Do you guys realize when we come in here on Sundays and as you go about your weeks, do you know what our worship is pointed towards? The submission of a son. We celebrate submission. We worship the son who has submitted and went to the cross. And we reap all the benefits by faith of the submissive son. We celebrate it. We give it value and worth and glory. And we say, yes, thank you. And yet when the idea of submission is brought up, we want to run. And we see it with a lowly lens. And I'm not sure why. Here's why. Because I think we've failed wives. We have failed wives by holding up men's role as being rooted in Jesus sacrificial servant leadership and we have lifted up jesus as the means and the model and the motivation for men and when it comes to wives you just been like wives and submit. you know you gotta, you gotta submit and we have not shown wives that just as the leadership servant role of a husband is rooted in jesus so their servanthood um submissive role is rooted in the same jesus submission is not a negative thing it was the submission of a son that purchased you out of your debt and slavery to sin. 
And we celebrate his work. We trust in his work. We tell others of his work. And we reap all the benefits of, his, of this work by faith. Submission is beautiful. It's glorious. It has worth, value. And we see it in the sun. You see, who Jesus is and what he has done paves the way for women to be wives. The gospel brings shape to the role. And again, this is where we have failed. We have failed. By not showing you that your role is rooted in Christ and he is the model of it. We often point wives to the Proverbs 31 woman alone for their template of female godliness. And we lead you to think, well, she was the one that she was the wife that did it all. Let's copy her. But what Peter does is he puts Jesus in front of wives and he says this, just like that, ladies, just like that. We need to see here that Peter puts Jesus in front of wives to be the means, model, and the motivation for your role. Wives, for you, Jesus is the means, model, and motivation for your role. And what I mean by that is this, he's the means. That Jesus is living his life through you by his spirit. The passage is escaping me right now. I can't believe this. Um, Something 221. Um, I've been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Anybody got a chapter from that? Galatians, yes, thank you. Appreciate that. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ is living his life through me by his spirit. Jesus was pretty clear in John 15 that apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Wives, where do you get the power to live out the submissive, powerful, faith-filled, courageous role that you've been called to in your marriage? By nothing short than the spirit of Jesus living his life through your dead carcass. That you've been crucified and your heart's been made alive by the spirit of God. And every bit of fruit that you bear is Jesus living his life through you to God's glory. He's your means. Meaning this, that in my flesh, I don't want to do this. That I don't wake up in the morning wanting to be a submissive, respectful, helping wife. I want to live for myself, which is how husbands wake up. They wake up thinking of themselves and not their children and not their spouses, right? And it's a work of the spirit to change our hearts and to bear fruit in our lives, to walk the way of Jesus, because we don't do this on our own. This is a work of God in our lives. So Jesus is your means, meaning he's living his life through you. He's indwelling you by his spirit. Jesus is also the model. Remember a few weeks back, Steve had that, that template with the letters, or a pretty simple illustration. We trace the letters, right? Why? Jesus is our template for suffering. Well, guess what? First Peter 3, 1 says, likewise wives. So not only is Jesus a template for my suffering, he's also a template for you ladies in your role as wives. A submissive, suffering savior. He's your template. He's your model. Meaning this, what, what does this look like, Sorcy? To be a submissive wife in the home, to defer to my husband's leadership, to walk away of help and respect, to lift up the ones around me, specifically my husband. What does that look like? Look to Jesus. You read 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25. You consider Christ and what he's done for us in the cross. He's your model. And not only that, is your motivation. Like what jumpstarts my heart in this? Because I'm going to tell you what, I fail at this. I have a hard time understanding this. Right? And maybe this is helpful. Being seen not just as a biblical command, but a modeled submission 
in the son that I love. And I hope you're being encouraged, ladies. He's my motivation. Meaning this, when I consider the cross, when I consider the son willfully and joyfully followed the father's plan to redeem the world, to redeem sinners of which I am one, I consider how the son submitted to the father's plan to save and serve me. See, wives, before they're called to be submissive, respectful helpers, they're a part of the church of Jesus who Jesus submitted for to serve them. They've been served. They've been served by this Jesus. They know this love. He's your motivation. Now, to bring further clarification, I want to mention just a few things of what submission is, is not. Okay? Let's talk about what submission isn't. All right? Shifting here a little bit. I got, I got a number of things. First is this. Submission does not mean agreeing with your, everything your husband says. Submission does not mean agreeing with everything that your husband says. Notice the First Peter 3 wife. Do you remember? What is she trying to do? She's trying to win him without words. So they disagree on who Jesus is. The wife believes Jesus is Lord. The husband doesn't. So if you think submission is this idea of, woman, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. You know what that is? Men, if you think that way, you're a fool. And we could talk about it out in the commons after service if you want to. Submission does not mean agreeing with your wife or agreeing with your husband on everything. Certainly we see in the first Peter three wife, there's disagreement. There's room for that there. God's just calling you to go about it in a certain way. Second thing is this submission does not mean never trying to change your husband or your home or your kids or having a dream for your world that you live in. What is the wife of first Peter three trying to do? She's trying to see her husband come to know Jesus. She's trying to see the heart of her husband change. She's trying to see the the culture of her home change. She's trying to see her husband come alive to disciple her kids. She has a dream and a vision and a plan, a godly one for her husband and for her home. Doesn't mean that you don't try to change, that you don't dream, that you don't have vision. Just means that God's calling you to go about it in a certain way. Wives, if you think submission means that I don't get to dream anymore or fight or work or strive to see culture change in my home and myself and my husband and my kids and my community, you've bought into a wrong view of submission. God's just calling you to go about it in a certain way. Also, submission does not mean that a wife gets her spiritual strength solely from her husband. The wife of 1 Peter 3 can't get spiritual thing from her husband. He's not, even a, he's not even a Christian. Before you're a missus, let me tell you, you're a daughter. Women. Before you're a missus, you're a daughter. And God might call you to be a missus as a role that you play, a wife to your husband. But what trumps them all is that you're a child of the king. And you're a daughter before you're a missus. And God might call you to both of those in your life, but he's never going to call you to each of them in competition to each other. You get your strength from Jesus. He's your savior. He's your head. And yes, God has put a husband in your place. And and by God's grace, man, it'd be awesome if he was the one that loves Jesus and is leading. But sometimes that's not the case, is it, ladies? And so what we need to do is we need to press into Christ and see that he's my savior. He's my head. I get my spiritual strength from him. Also, submission does not mean acting out of fear. If you think fear is equivalent to respect and submission, that's wrong. Fear is not submission. 
Fear is not respect. They are opposites, actually. We're going to look a little bit later on. A wife that fears actually violates her call to be respectful. A wife that fears actually violates her call to be respectful. First Peter 3 wife is told in verse 6 to do what's right without fear of what their husbands might do. Fear violates a wife's call to respect their husbands because fear is on the borderline of worship. And wives are not called to worship their husbands. They're called to respect them and serve them and help them be submissive to them. And fear should never be confused for respect or submission. Perfect love casts out fear. It casts out fear. The role of wife is not a fearful one. It's a, it's a strong, quiet, faith-filled, courageous role. Not a fearful one. This one, got you ladies all like this. Submission does not mean wives have to be silent. Praise Jesus, right? Submission does not mean wives have to be silent. The first Peter 3 wife is told to try not to win her unbelieving or disobeying husband with words. It never says for her not to talk. Furthermore, if Jesus is the model for submission and the cross is the ultimate place where he submitted to the Father's plan and the Father's will, what do we see Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane before he faces sufferings? He's sharing, he's talking, Father, if there be any way that this cup can pass for me, let it be so. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He voiced his heart. He shared, he talked about it. He told the Father how he was feeling but ultimately submitted to the will of the Father in the end. Here's the deal about Jesus, wives, if your role is modeled after him. Jesus was passionate and visible and verbal and submissive to the Father's will his entire life. He wasn't just always just silent, passive, without opinion, no conversation, no communication. He's not that way. And if wives are called to submit like Christ submits, we need to see that Jesus Christ submits to God the Father. And he is all these things, verbal, vocal, visible, submissive, passionate. Doesn't mean you don't say words. Just means God's called you about, go about it a certain way, certain way, the way of Jesus. Man, if you think that submission means that your wife just sits there and shuts up, you're a fool. And if you want to lead your home that way and be the boss and be the tough guy and produce fear in your wife, you're a fool. And may God give you grace to repent of that and turn from that. Furthermore, submission does not mean that wives are to be submissive to all men. What does it say? Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Your own husbands. This is in the context of a specific relationship. The marriage between one man and one woman. Guys, if you're here and you think that this is idea of a male-dominated culture and all wives are inferior to men and they should submit to all men, you're also a fool. I think I said fool like six times last sermon. Someone counted. Was that four? A couple more coming. Right? Mostly aimed at men. Ladies. It doesn't mean that they're submissive to all men. The first Ephesians 5 wife, the first Peter 3 wife is, is called to be submissive, to help, to respect her own husband, a singular male. The context is marriage, not life in general. For a marriage to function with unity, there are complementary roles to play in order for a relationship to function. God's placed a leadership mantle on men. In the following, helping, respectful mantle on wives. Men are not superior to women. 
And this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think there's enough poetic language in Genesis for this to come out. Notice that Eve was taken out of the side of Adam. Eve was taken out of the side of Adam. Meaning that biblical manhood and womanhood is not man in front of the woman, that's chauvinism. And it's not woman in front of the man, that's feminism. What we have is biblical manhood and womanhood, Eve taken out of the side of Adam. They stand side by side, equal in value, equal in worth, but they play different and complementary roles, side by side. If he thinks that somehow submission means that you are less in value, if anybody has that thought in their head, remove it quickly because that's not what it means. Remember that Jesus being co-equal and co-eternal with the Father submitted to his plan to redeem the world doesn't make Jesus any less God than God. Furthermore, submission does not mean that wives are degraded. Again, last point, it was to Christ's glory to submit to his Father's plan of redemption of his children, right? The Spirit submits to the Father and, and the Son. The Son submits to the Father. It was Christ's glory to do that. And it's to a wife's glory to submit to God's plan of provision and protection for her in her life and her role in her marriage. There's value there. Again, what do we do? What have we done this morning? We have celebrated submission. We have rejoiced in it. And we've reaped its benefits. Lastly, it's this. This is my favorite one. Submission does not mean that wives flounder, but rather they flourish. It doesn't mean that wives flounder, but rather they flourish. The wife of Ephesians 5 is told to submit to her husband as the head, as the leader in the marriage, just as the church submits to its head, its leader, its savior, Jesus. But the Ephesians 5 wife flourishes in her role. The church flourishes in its role of submission to the son. That's clear from verses 25 to 27. Please notice, what is the result of the church submitting to Christ? Like, what does submission look like for the church towards Christ? Right? Does it mean this? Does it mean that it sings softer in its worship, that it dumbs down its intelligence, or it bridles its passion, or it seeks to be less influential in the world? No. We would never deduce from the church submits to Christ that it would mean any of those things. In fact, it would mean the opposite, that we sing louder, that we seek to influence, that we seek to love, that we don't try to suppress our gifts, but use them to their max and full potential. In the same way, wives should arrange themselves under their husband's leadership and fully express, not suppress, their gifts and passion for the good of their husband, home, and mission in the world. If you think submission means you flounder rather than flourish, you've had a wrong view of submission. In submission, you flourish. You use all the gifts that God has given to you to flourish in your role, wives. Now, there's much more we could say about this, but we have to move on. Let's move on to wives as helpers. So that's submission. And I hope I brought some clarity. Big, huge topic, right? Hope I brought some clarity and I've elevated our view of submission by rooting it and seeing the scriptures rooted in Christ. Let's talk about being helpers, right? Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. By God's own declaration, it wasn't good that the man should be alone. God declared that. It wasn't Adam like, yo, I'm lonely. It was God like, that's not good. Why? Because we're creating the image and likeness of God. You can't, you can't capture the communal image of God by one person living in isolation. And so God created one mankind with two distinct people, a man and a woman, to reflect his unity and diversity. 
This is by God's design, and it's awesome, and it's beautiful. He said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. And the implication here is that something was incomplete. Something's insufficient, lacking. Adam needed some help. Wives, look at your husbands and be like, you're really lacking. That's why I'm here. Or is that disrespectful? I don't know. Men need help. Amen, ladies? Amen. Men need help. Amen, men? Man, before I met my wife, I didn't even know there was shirts with buttons on them. All I wore was t-shirts. Backwards. Up, inside out. I don't know. Right? Man, if it wasn't for my wife, I'd be wearing my Walter Payton jersey right now with some gray sweatpants. My hand in a bag of Cheetos, like wiping it off right here, you know? And while we're on this subject of embarrassing dress, have you seen these guys that wear Crocs with socks? That is shameful. So shameful. Wives, help your husbands. Some of these dudes are married walking around like this. Ladies, you need to help your men. You're not walking out of the house like that. I need to help you right now. I need to save you from embarrassment. Men need help. Wives are helpers. God ordained fit. Helper is the Hebrew word. Something, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Brad might be able to help me. He's over there. E-Z-E-R. Ezer. The only reason I bring that up is to show you that wives in this passage in Genesis 2 are called to be helpers. And the Hebrew word that we find there for helper is the same word that God uses of himself multiple times in the Psalms. The thing that God's called you to, wives, is the same thing that God is for his people. He's a helper. God refers to himself as a helper. He's a helper to his people. In fact, you can make a strong argument that the entirety of God's interaction with his people is helping and serving them. Same thing that God's called you to. Really, in your marriage, God's called you to nothing short of mirroring him in your home. Mirroring him. The helper role is a serving role. And as you can see, our God is a serving God. That's why we're here Because we've been served and rescued and loved and bought with a price. Ladies, God's calling you to mirror him. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a helper by Jesus in the same John 15 passage where Jesus refers to himself as a helper. So here we have the trifecta. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all have referred to themselves as helper. That's what he's called you to, wives, in your homes, to be a helper. So we often think of helper as demeaning or lowly. We'd rather, rather be in charge and call the shots or whatever than to do to be a helper. This partly has to do with our low view of serving. Helper is not a second-class position. It's a high calling. Furthermore, in the kingdom of God and, and, how, and how the kingdom of God and what it values, servants are number one. They're first. You know who's the least? The people who are trying to be first. And why would you think in the kingdom of Jesus that servanthood would be elevated? Because the king of this kingdom was a servant. And he came not to be served, but serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Still have a low view of help and submission, ladies? It's awesome what God's called you to. It mirrors Jesus. It reminds us of God. It reminds us of the Spirit. It reminds us of the Father. It's a high calling. It's a high calling. 
Listen to Brian Chapel, what he said about this. Submission and help is the pouring oneself into the completion of another. It is sacrificing of self to make a relationship and those in it whole. God is calling wives to do what he does and continues to do for his people every day. And as wives take on a submissive, deferential role of helper, they're called to be a supporter, an advisor, an encourager, a comforter, a truth teller, and a friend to husbands. So they can lead, so husbands can lead from the heart and be all that God's called them to be and do in this life. And in a husband's leading, serving, and strong vision for his family and sacrificing, the wife finds her security, comfort, and God-ordained flourishing. Ladies, I don't think you realize how powerful you are in the life of your husband. I have seen how helping can make a husband whole, make him confident, Give him courage to be on mission, to be a husband, to lead in this home. I've seen that. And on the other side, I have seen how wives in their non-helping and disrespect have destroyed men and made them flounder and have turned them into unconfident cowards. You have a big role to play in your husband's life, in your home. Now, this idea of helper, right? This Holy Spirit's referred to as a helper. Well, some wives have taken this idea of being their husband's helper a little too far, meaning they want to be their husband's Holy Spirit. I just want to let you know, there's three spots in the Trinity, ladies. All three are taken up. Not sure you're aware of that. I'm here to help you and serve you, to let you know that. With good intentions, I've seen wives with good intentions with wanting good things, try and drive and encourage their husbands to lead in certain areas, but sometimes do so a little too much, cross the line into disrespect, and they do so from a top-down leadership position rather than a serving, quiet, respectful role. Here's my last point, respect, and we are not going to get to all of this. Basically, it's this. God is calling you gals to be respectful. And the way to be, to be submissive, to serve, to be a help, right? And to be respectful in your marriage. Now, that is modeled by the way of Jesus. And for husbands and wives, we both have the way of Jesus modeling leadership and submission, okay? And in both husbands and wives, there's a too much and a too little. There's ditches that each husbands and wives fall into. And so for husbands, they're called to lead and love and serve like Jesus. And their too much is being the boss, being abrasive, being overbearing, being a fool, and creating fear culture in their marriage. That's too much. That needs to be repented of. Then the too little is being a coward, being passive, not around, not making decisions, not leading. And for the wives, it's the same way. They're called to walk the way of Jesus. His modeling of submission and service and helping his church by uplifting everyone around them. Right? This bold, courageous role that God's called you to. And the too much is the disrespectful wife. The wife that the Proverbs talks about. The wife where it says that it's better for a husband to live in the corner of his house, up on the roof, than to live with a quarrelsome wife. That gal, right? I'm just saying, some of you guys might need to start being doers of the word instead of hearers. Grab your tent, go up on the roof of your house, get your sleeping bag, start eating SpaghettiOs out of a can, because you know that's what you'll be eating, right? Up there. Proverbs, it's better to live on your roof than with a quarrelsome wife. 
that gal, she's disrespectful. You know what the too little is? The too much is the disrespectful wife. You know what the too little is? The wife that lives in fear. Fear. And some men love that their wives fear them. And they don't bring anything up. They don't disagree. Or else there's hell to pay. And husbands, if you've created a culture like this in your home, you need to repent. You need to see that you're not modeling the way of Jesus. Actually, your leadership is what Jesus died for. And that your role is modeled after a suffering Savior who serves people rather than dominates them and bosses them around. And so the first one's real easy, disrespectful, right? Always cutting her husband off at the knees, insulting him in front of people, being loud and contentious and quarrelsome, being foolish. Wives, do you struggle with this? Is this what you struggle with, being disrespectful? And some wives, on the, on the surface, they look submissive and quiet and respect. But when you peel the layers back a little bit, you find a wife who's living in fear. And fear is used in the Old Testament as a synonym for worship for a reason. It's a kind of heart posture we're to have towards God, where his words are ultimate in our life. Where his kingship is ultimate in our lives, where we live for him. We long to please him and love him and obey him and serve him. And his words lift us up and his words define us. But there's an idolatry in some marriages where wives treat their husbands like that instead of King Jesus. And their, wa- and their words wreck them and ruin them. And they live their lives in fear and every move is calculated a thousand different ways so that their husband doesn't get angry at them. Wives, this is not what God has called you to. The first Peter 3 wife is submissive and serves and doesn't fear anything except God. And so wives, for some of you, your husband might be creating a culture like this, but you need to repent of your fear and you need to turn that, those worship aspects to God because there's only one person in this world that I know of that deserves that kind of love, that kind of affection, that kind of trust, and that kind of worship. And it's not your husband. It's Jesus. And the reason why fear isn't respect is because it's over-respect. It's not respect, it's worship. Wives are called to respect their husbands, to serve them, not worship them. And fear is worship. Husbands, if you're leading your home like this, you're a fool and you're dangerous. You need to repent. And you know what? In all these things, wives, husbands, as we give our hands to these kinds of things, husbands are going to fail. They're going to end up in this ditch or that ditch. And wives are going to fail. And they're going to end up in this ditch and that ditch. And what husbands and wives need to do is they fail each other. And as they strive by the Spirit of God to live out what they're called to do, there's going to be moments of failure. And this is why Jesus is so amazing and he's good news. Because he is both sacrificial and serves husbands and models the leadership. He's both submissive and sacrificial and models the wife's role. And Jesus has loved and served both husband and wife at the cross. And both husband and wife have experienced the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. And in the face of your failures as a wife, and in the face of your failures as a husband, you get to turn to one another and say, you know what? You've offended me and you've hurt me. 
You've deviated from your role as a husband. You've deviated from your role as a wife. And we both freely can confess that and take the grace that God has shown us in the cross and bend it toward each other and forgive each other. Isn't that beautiful? So instead of husbands and wives pointing fingers and holding sins over each other, how about in humility you both say, you know what, we've both failed. The ground is level where we stand. And we're both loved by King Jesus who models both your role and mine. How about we extend grace and forgiveness towards one another and bury the past exactly where it is and move forward in the way of Jesus and be a people of love and grace and forgiveness and extend that to one another. Isn't repentance a beautiful thing? It's a gift that God's given specifically to marriage. Husbands and wives, I give it to you. Repentance. Use it. And in repenting and confessing that both of you have failed and pressing into Jesus as your means and model and motivation for all your roles, you allow the gospel to win and watch fruit bear in your relationships. And I hope all of you who are married have a conversation similar to that on the car ride home. Let me pray for you.